0: Hello and welcome to Eldritch Girl, Weird Gothic Stuff and Nonsense with me, C.M. Rosens. We're going to be continuing the serialisation of my first published novel, The Crows. Content warnings are to follow. The theme tune is by Gemma Cartmel. The illustrations in the books are by Tom Brown. You can buy the books either direct from me, from my ko shop, uh, or you can buy them from any ebook online retailer and the paperback currently from Amazon only content warnings for chapter 13 uh this is the chapter that on my notes i've got the mild rob zombie chapter uh so i guess uh, head injury gore violence cannibalism disembowelment uh it yeah if you've seen a house of a thousand corpses it's not that it's a lot milder than that and you should be fine uh, Yeah, enjoy. Chapter 13 Beast with a Human Face In which Fairwood finds a clue and Ricky has a confession. 4th of May As the moon sailed beyond the middle of the night, Ricky couldn't sleep. He had spent more time away from home in the previous few days than he had ever done in his life and his own bed was a stranger to him. Had they done something to it? His father was well enough to be downstairs yesterday. Had he gone across the landing and done something, changed something? Sleep well, son, George had gurgled that night, clots still dribbling from his chin. Ricky bounced onto all fours, spine curved, and tore the mattress apart. The springs pinged hard against his nails, mildewed guts spilling out of the tear. He ripped it open and flung it off the bed frame, but there was nothing to find. Breathing hard, Ricky towered, a lean, tattooed titan in the wreckage of his room. It was difficult to tower at five foot five, but the ceiling was so low he managed it in fact as well as in his imagination. The damp was eating at the walls, fungi sprouting where the wallpaper had curled away. The mattress was beyond repair. His bed stood immobile, inflexible, too small. Ricky snarled at it. He had better things to do with his life than stay at home, dosing and nursing his parents, outgrowing them in this cramped life. The ruin he'd had his eye on since he was a boy was open to him now. What could be more fitting? She wasn't a ruin any more either. Fully restored she was, and thirsty for vengeance. Carrie Rickard understood, saw Fairwood for what she was, had seen him, all of him now, too. Shut up, shut up, shut up. Still comfortable still comfortably naked in his goose fleshed skin, Ricky stalked downstairs to the cellar where he'd stashed the motorist from that afternoon. He'd do him now, skin him and carve him, then curl up with Gerald like he used to as a little boy, like he'd done the last few nights with— Shut up, shut up, shut up! No wonder the Badger hadn't shown him anything. He'd used up his energies, giving Guy Bishop the winning horses at Ascot. Was this what he was reduced to? No, heard the voice, have been for a while. He's watching me, waiting. I'm part of the weird, part of the plan, I can wait.' He sighed, descending into the cellar in the dark, and struck a match to light the lantern. The light flared on a trussed-up man at least twice Ricky's size, struggling and mumbling through the gag. The light also flared on Gerald, tied securely to the wheel in the corner. One of Gerald's bonds had come loose, the fox limb torn partially out of the donkey-hide shoulder, as if Gerald had attempted to escape. "'Did you do this to him?' Ricky demanded, inspecting the tear. "'Could be mice. Hard to tell in this light.' The man shook his head vehemently, sweating bullets, muffled swearing pouring through the gag. Ricky scowled. Never mind. He was off his game and he knew it. He unrolled his toolkit, selected a sharp, curved blade, and prepared to get to work. Some of his cousins liked to strip off when they had a job like this to do, standing amid plastic sheeting, partially or fully erect, getting off on the blood or the pain or the noises. He viewed the meat they served up at family dinners with mild suspicion and distaste, It always tastes better when you knew the butcher hadn't fucked it first or wanked himself off during the process. Ricky was naked, the way he usually slept, but this was a job to him, and nothing stirred beyond the occasional growl on his stomach. The man wrenched his hands free in a desperate swipe and charged, head down, catching Ricky around the waist. Ricky gripped the man in a dancer's hold and spun him around, jerking his shoulder out of its socket with a satisfying crunch of bone. He buried the knife in the man's shoulder, which proved to be a mistake. The man bellowed with pain, but kept going, flailing, punching out. Ricky dodged the other fist with ease, barely moving, until the man threw himself into Gerald's corner looking for a weapon. He clearly knew better than to unplug the wound by taking out the knife, or he was running on adrenaline and had forgotten it was still in there. "'Don't you bloody dare!' Ricky growled, seeing the wild-eyed glance at the antlers. "'You keep your hands off him! Don't you bleeding dare!' The man, his right arm swinging limp and useless, made a grab for Gerald's skull. Ricky lunged forward as he managed to snap an antler off, and the man plunged it right into Ricky's eye through to his brain. Fuck me. Time stopped. So did pain. For a moment, Ricky hovered on the edge of the outside. Slithering sounds came towards him in the green-black of the darkness. Grandad's worshippers slapped their way out of the void to his aid, drawn by the tattoos burning a message into their dimension. It wasn't the first time they dived into his mind, but he hated feeling them in there, crawling, worming through his cerebral cortex and drawing him back into the light of his own reality. When he came to, the man was trying to break his way out of the trap door. Ricky sat up, head pounding. Gerald's bloodied antler lay discarded on the floor. Where the pest do you think you're going? the man blanched, clutching his dislocated arm and nearly falling in shock. He was a striking-looking bloke, even from that angle. Ricky had once flicked through a book on mythology with laughably inaccurate pictures, and the chiselled jaw of Apollo with his short curls was uncannily similar. He ignored the man's frantic attempts to escape padlock was new, and got up in one fluid movement to select another knife from his table. While he'd been out of it, the man had done the same. His least favourite blade was missing. Wes had given it to him on his seventeenth birthday, a blunt blade with a flashy handle. You shallow twat! He shook his head, smirking. You had all these beauties, and you picked the shit one. The tendrils slithered out like anacondas. They withstood the attempts to fight them off, the knife bites stinging no worse than pins and needles. The man howled as he was dragged back down the steps, and silvery mucus... "'blinding him and gluing his limbs rigidly in place. "'Ricky tossed him back into his corner, "'taking his knife back in the process, and got on with it. "'He took the organs he needed, "'ignoring the frantic struggles and gagged screams, "'carved some sinewy bits off for Mother, "'and readied the guts like a string of slippery sausages. "'The stink of faeces and urine joined the sweeter reek of putrefaction "'wafting from Gerald. "'Ricky mentally made his clean-up list as he worked, trying to remember where he'd put the man's wallet and ID. It would be easier to think without all the noise. Fortunately, the man passed out not long into the job, around the time Ricky fished out his right kidney. It was only when his intestines were in a pile ready to be packed into Gerald, and Gerald's straw-stuck maggot-invested guts had been piled into the man's stomach cavity, that Ricky noticed his unlucky motorist was missing the top joint of his finger. He was pretty sure he hadn't lost it in the fight, or by crashing the car. Fuck's sake He had a nibble of another finger joint just to be sure, clamping down on the pinky and chewing it off. There was no doubt about it. He had tasted this before. Well how was I to bloody know? He'd just gutted Caroline Rickard's ex boyfriend. Ricky sighed. No odd feelings, mate. I still can't see too well. Started to think I'd been short changed by that bloody shrine, to tell the truth. He studied the gory remains. Should be thanking you, really breaking the right bits of her, bringing it to me. I'm no ways ungrateful. He gave Phil's lifeless legs a kick. All I need to do is keep telling her the truth. Gerald was watching him. He looked up into the oozing eyeballs. Don't you be a looking at me like that. Gerald said nothing, filling the cellar with his accusatory silence. Piss off, Ricky muttered, suddenly out of sorts, and collected up the organs for his mother. Carrie's ghost was getting impatient. Her sullen figure appeared in the bathroom mirror as Carrie passed by, watching silently. Her presence was in the kitchen, chilling the usually warm space with an unnatural speed and draining Carrie's phone battery as it sat in the middle of the kitchen table. Carrie went to find her phone charger, and when she came back, her phone was lying on the floor with a cracked screen. ''Oh, come on!'' Carrie was glad she had insurance. ''Come on, really?'' The utility door slammed. Carrie stood her ground. Look, I'm trying to help you. I promise I'm looking, but I've got literally nothing to go on. I'm trying to hold down a job. I've already been cursed once. Can you give me a break? The door banged again, making her jump. OK, fine, I'll try harder. She turned around and Kathy's vortex eyes burned into hers inches away. Carrie leapt back, heart in her throat, swiping at the air. God, this is weird. Let me help. She got herself a slice of lemon cake from the counter, her treat courtesy of mercy, and devoured half of it in one go. Bloody hell. She went into the living room where the green man stood propped on the mantelpiece. What do you think? Did you know Janet? I remember Janet Varney. Despoiler. Thief. Yes, I remember now. What did she do to you? Broke in. Took linen. Ornaments. Things she said no one was using. "'left scars like the rest of them. "'Thieves, vandals, fools!' "'Carrie shared the flash of anger. "'What a bitch! "'I can see her kitchen from here.' "'Carrie frowned, taking her time with the crumbs. "'From where?' "'There was a pause. "'She kept something of mine. "'It's in the kitchen. "'The house is empty.' "'Are you sure?' "'Carrie asked without thinking.' She felt the withering pity of the crows rush through her mind, as if the house had raised a gable in place of an eyebrow. I know houses. All right, keep your slates on. Carrie grinned down at her plate, tickled by her own joke. Okay, can you manifest there? Look around? We're looking for anything that might connect her to you. I mean, how old was she? She couldn't have been involved with the Ross murder, could she? The green man smiled. Carrie let her hand close over the tile, her vision blurred. The world spun into a pinpoint, sucking her up and throwing her out into a vortex of shape and colour. She opened her eyes in a new world of a catalogue kitchen, matching beige everything, looking out of the eyes of a Toby jug. When Ricky said he was going to show me a whole new world, I'm not sure he imagined this, she remarked. We can do better than Ricky Porter, Fairwood said primly. Square, stocky and too big for the miniature elegance of Janet Varney's kitchen, Fairwood's avatar scraped its head against the Artex ceiling. Carrie saw the claw scars, fresh and deep, running down its neck. Since the living room window was still broken, a craze of silver webbed in the corner of its eye. That's the master bedroom talking, Carrie retorted, recognising the tone, the sides of her ceramic cheeks growing redder under the glaze. Fairwood sniffed. Well, what are we looking for? I'm a jug. Where are my feet? Ugh, I'm hollow. This is... this is bloody weird. Fairwood picked her up. I'm not sensing anything else belonging to me. Carrie knew it wasn't going to be easy. OK, let's go for her papers, her mementos, things she's hidden away. Maybe try to destroy? I don't know. She rolled her eyes around, trying to take in as much as possible. Catching their reflection in the window. Oh my God, I'm a talking Toby jug. I don't like this. ''Let go of the tile,'' Fairwood advised. ''I'll see what I can find.'' Carrie didn't have any hands. She couldn't let go of the tile. She had left the tile in the living room. ''What do you mean, let...?'' She woke up on the floor. Trances were a bitch. Her cheek felt numb. The pain came a few moments later, bursting around her head where she had hit it against the fireplace on the way down. The mirror reflected the violent beginnings of a colossal bruise. ''Not again! Bloody hell!'' She tugged her bobble out of her ponytail and ruffled her hair round her face to see if that would cover it. It didn't. Oh, God, why is this always happening to me? Can I please not be knocked out or attacked or cursed for five fucking minutes? This is getting ridiculous. She wasn't sure what she'd even done. There was some blood on the grate, so she assumed she'd bashed her face on that when she'd collapsed. Her right eye was puffing as she watched. She could feel it swelling, tender, the slight graze on her cheek already scabbing over. I'm going out into the garden, she announced. I need fresh air. Fucking hell. Fairwood did not answer. People bleed and bruise, she shouted at the living room. We're not like wood or stone or plaster. We get hurt, so just... Can you just remember that, please? She tidied up her cake crumbs and the broken plate, smashed in two on the grate, located the fork with some difficulty and dumped everything in the bin, including the fork, which she would regret later. The garden was cool, the wishing well as innocent as any garden ornament, the sun shining. She sat on the grass, head spinning, hoping that when she got the hang of her newfound skills, abilities, curse, she would be fine, it would all be fine, her life would go back to some semblance of normality, and there would be fewer injuries and far less pain. Watch your neighbour. Carrie flopped back onto the lawn, shading her eyes with a hand. Bloody hellfire. Oi, that's my line. Ricky Porter crossed the lawns and stopped, casting his shadow over her. Carrie glanced up at him. Should I start charging you rent, she asked. He grinned. Think of it as, what's the word, acclimatisation, that's it. Don't worry, Carrie said dryly, you'll get used to me. Ricky giggled delightedly in his unguarded, childlike way, the wrong kind of laugh for a man like that, but she was getting used to the cognitive dissonance it engendered. The sun isn't even behind you, she said, squinting. You're doing this on purpose. This whole eldritch thing. Ricky dropped into a squat and his shadow went away. Yeah, you got me. Showing off. It's not-it's not things that go bump in the night that bother me, Carrie muttered. It's people. Social crap. I used to be fine and now-now I'm not doing so well again. That was an understatement. The anxiety was there in the background of her life all the time, spoiling the quiet moments of its constant static vibrato. Dr. Monday's preparation had helped, but now she felt it coming back, seeping upwards from her subconscious in a slow, relentless, insidious flood. Ricky grinned, lying down beside her and stretching out with one arm behind his head, the other shading his eyes. You seem all right with me. Does that mean I'm not people, then? He didn't seem offended. She noted how close he was lying, not quite touching, but comfortably close. It tugged at Carrie's mind as if they had done this before, but she knew they hadn't. Maybe she was thinking of the bus journey. Neighbours are different. Carrie put her arm under her her head and stared into the clouds. The sunlight bothered her. She winced, cupping her free hand over her damaged eye. He glanced at her and did a double take, moving her protective hand away from her bruises. She turned her head as he sat up, head on one side. "Coy, you've been in the wars. What's wrong with your face? Nothing. He jabbed at her cheek forcing her to jerk her head back and knock his hand away. Stop it! She rolled her eyes, or tried to. Her right eye was too puffy to roll and the headache was getting worse. Fell over. Bashed my face on the fireplace. He sniffed, businesslike. You know, I could see my way clear to, you know, move in. Lodge. Could be useful if you're not 100%. Carrie stared at him. Seriously, what? You want to move in with me? "'Yeah, well, things aren't exactly working out at my parents' place right at the minute.' He avoided eye contact, running his fingers through the grass. "'Had a bit of a set to yesterday with the old man, and... "'Well, you heard all that. Don't mind paying rent. In kind, obviously. I don't have any money.' Carrie continued to stare, speechless, propping herself up on her elbows. "'All right, all right. I won't darken the upper floors. Don't you panic. "'Happy in the cellars, me. And I'll clear up after myself. No blood, no nothing.' None for the old Bill to find, even if they turn up with a full soccer team. He paused. That's actually happened, he added, with a hint of pride, as if that were proof of his thoroughness. Twice. What are you, what are you going to pay with, if not money? Carrie had no intention of saying yes, but the idea was horribly fascinating, because you know it's money I'm short of, and you're already owing me favors from the Pendlestones, so. She trailed off, leaving it suggestively unfinished. Ricky shrugged. How about the lottery numbers, where I can tell you who's going to win the World Cup? Are you joking? You can't do that. it has got to be rules. Why not? Future's immutable. You can think of that one of two ways, problematic or lucrative. He jumped up, stretching in the sunlight. If it can't be changed, you might as well bet on it. Carrie struggled up too, a whole inch taller than he was. I'll think about it. She didn't fancy the idea of an eldritch horror in her cellar, and she didn't really believe he'd tell her something so mundane as the jackpot numbers. Of everything she'd seen and put up with over the past few weeks, that one was too unlikely. "'Nah, say yes,' Ricky insisted, backing off a few steps, "'cause I've got a bit of a confession to make, and I'd rather you—' he sucked air through his teeth—' "'You know, agree first. "'Oh, God,' Carrie groaned. "'What now?' He hunched his shoulders, hood twitching as the tendrils pushed at the fabric. Funny story. Oh, God. Ricky squirmed. Mother was on about meat pies all bloody week, right? And I needed something for, for a right, yeah? And there's this bloke with a puncture. Just stood there. Just happened to have a puncture. Ricky squirmed. Well, you know how it is. Who am I to change another man's weird? I'm just an agent of destiny, me. Anyway, I bash him on the head and take him to the cottage, right? Well, then I had to read livers and that didn't work out. You turned up and Carrie held up a hand. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You abducted a bloke, bashed him on the head and he was in the cottage the whole time I was with you? She groaned. Oh God, this is the man in the cellar. I knew it. I should have... She trailed off. What? Rescued him? How? He frowned, concentrating on his train of thought. Yeah, that's what I said. "'Well, anyway, last night I can't sleep, "'so I remember this guy, and I go down to the cellar, "'make a start, flame a bit, carve up some cuts for Mum, "'take out his spleen.' "'You what?' "'His spleen,' Ricky repeated louder. "'Get a kidney, you know, while I'm in there. "'And he's a feisty bastard, doesn't bloody shut up the whole time, "'so it's not until a bit later I noticed. "'He, um, he's missing the top of his finger.' "'Carrie went cold. "'What? What colour was the car?' She croaked, praying the answer both would and would not be blue. "'Can't remember,' Ricky said. Conga eels writhed, knotted in the pit of her stomach. Ricky fished a driving licence out of his pocket, holding it out to her. "'I'm going to put her with the others, but first I thought I wanted to check if I should put in a bit more work covering up this one, since I don't want to get you in any bother.' "'With the others?' She imagined handmade mobiles of ID cards, twirling in drafts on cat-cut strings, macabre tributes to their missing owners. She didn't want to touch it. The familiar face drove the wind out of her. She stumbled back a pace. The picture was an old one. She could see it from there, exactly as she remembered. He had joked he'd looked like a junkie in the harsh light, and they'd both laughed. She let the knowledge seep in, stared it in the plastic face. Phil... He's killed Phil. It was the relief, the treacherous wave of relief that hit first. The dread, the self-hate, the horror, all that would follow, but not now, not yet, although it churned like flotsam and when the wave broke, she would have to deal with the wreckage. She stared from the card to Ricky and was overwhelmed with a mad desire to kiss his crooked smile, kiss him hard on the lips, break his teeth, rip his tongue out and smash his cocky face in. She didn't know why she did it. One minute she was staring at the driving licence, the next her arms were around Ricky Porter's neck and she was clinging to him like a life preserver, locked in a throttle hold. Ricky went rigid. His shoulders and back were iron tense. He gripped her upper arms and prized her off him, holding her at arm's length as studs of pain blossomed in her flesh around his fingertips. "'Ow! Ricky! Ow! You're hurting me!' He looked genuinely shaken. She grabbed his arms at the elbow to push him off, wincing with the tightness of his grip, and he took the hint but didn't let go entirely. They stood apart, locked in their strange wrestle, until Ricky cleared his throat. So... His voice was still gruff, but there was a fragility in it that she hadn't heard before. We're all right, then. His breath hit her, spearmint sweet. He freshened his breath before he came over? He must be serious. I'm a serious man, me. Yeah. Carrie was too numb to think clearly. Yeah, I, th- I think, I think we're all right. The tension bled out of his body, muscles unbunching a group at a time, going from iron to putty. He quivered at her closeness, eyes wide, their central dots blazing. They released each other, and he nodded. Ricky, his cousin, lives around here. People will be asking for him. They'll come to the house. He scoffed. Now nah, they won't find anything. Promise. "'Mention my name, tell them to ask me if I saw anything, "'and I guarantee you they won't be bothering you again.' "'He eyed her, a smile playing on his visible lips. "'That is, I can help... if...' "'He shrugged, willing her to complete the sentence. "'Carrie's world closed in, one choice at a time. "'Ricky's sly smile chilled her to the marrow. "'So what do I call you? Landlady?' "'Shit.' Carrie rubbed the left side of her face, the bruise almost forgotten in the roller coaster of the last few minutes. "'Yeah, you've got me there, haven't you?' he grinned. "'Look, you know it's not up to me. If the house says yes, then I can't really say no.' The words pinched in her throat. She gagged on them. "'Have you got much stuff?' or... Ricky crowed his delight to the bright May sky, grabbed her by the shoulders and bounced on the balls of his feet to plant a smacking kiss on her forehead.' It was so out of character that Carrie forgot Phil was dead. He pulled away immediately, taking a few steps back and burying his hands in his pockets again, but it was too late. The kiss burned into her skin like a brand. Her hand flew to the spot automatically, but she caught his eye and scratched her head instead. She itched to rub it away, rub the skin off her forehead, rub a hole straight through the bone into her brain and rip out the knowledge he had saddled her with. But she couldn't do that. "'No kids up the chimney,' he said solemn. "'I swear.' I mean, I'll give it my best shot. Until my foresight's back up to speed, I can't swear I won't have to. Know what I mean? He beamed at her. Just one more right, that's it. To that I can swear, and my third eye will be wide open for the foreseeable. Carrie nodded. Okay. Okay, just, um, please don't let them arrest me for something I didn't do. Oh my God, did I really say that? Is that all I have to say? Do I call Phil's mum? How can I when she doesn't even know he's missing yet? Who do I tell? No one. I can't tell anyone. Oh God. Oh God, what do I do? He gave her a smile that was almost fond. Don't you fret, neighbour. I'm here to help. He frowned, rummaging in his other pocket. Speaking of which, he pulled out a clear plastic packet containing what looked like tobacco, a note inside. This is for you. One of the favours I owe you. Get anxious, do you? Not medicine, more a pick-me-up, but this will help. His childlike giggle escaped again as she took it. See you later. He waved at the house with all the energy of an excited schoolboy on his first parentless trip and strode off across the lawns into the trees. Carrie studied the packet. It looked more like a bag of iron filings than shredded tobacco now she had it up close. But as she pinched the plastic, she saw the dark greens and purple-blacks, a muted rainbow of dark shades. Inside was a handwritten note, in large, carefully rounded writing, unevenly spaced. It hadn't occurred to her until then, but from the way he spoke and the casual references he made, Ricky Porter must be well read, even though she hadn't seen a single book or magazine in the cottage. What did he read? Where did the books come from? Who had taught him to write this way, the handwritten version of a cut-and-pasted letters in a kidnapper's note? Take two pinches with tea. Black tea is best twice a day, free refills, my favour. Carrie hesitated. She headed back into the kitchen, the packet clutched in her hand. Don't drink the tea, never trust a porter. Why not? What was he going to do? And what did it matter now, anyway? She took two pinches as directed and stirred them into a cup of tea. As she drank it slowly, calm and clarity re-entered her world. The overwhelming, storm-tossed breakers of her life settled into lapping waves, easily navigated. Things began to slot into place. There's nothing I can do, so we'll worry about that later, one thing at a time. Her stomach settled, her mind eased. That's it, one thing at a time. Carrie took a deep breath. Find anything at Mrs. Varney's? she asked out loud. Fairwood materialised through the oak panelling of the stairs, striding down the steps into the kitchen to join her. Not much. I looked in all the usual places owners hide things. This was in the wood burner. He laid down some scraps of burnt paper, and an old photograph curled and scorched. The house was not so old. It put on a few airs, but it knew better than to cross me. It showed me this, up in the attic. It was a box of mementos, which Fairwood also laid on the table for Carrie to peruse. What was she burning?' Carrie picked over the papers and photographed first. The paper looked like old newspaper, brittle and yellowed. It fragmented at her touch, so she tried not to poke it. Must be a one and a nine? Nineteen? And, um... She struggled to concentrate, trying not to think about Phil. Fifty-eight? Yeah, so what happened in 1958? Kathy Ross, Fairwood said promptly. She kept the newspaper report. "'And now she burns it? "'Then attacks me? Us?' "'That's not a coincidence.' "'Carrie tapped her nails against her mug. "'This photo, what's this?' "'Is that the Colonel?' "'She peered at a group of serious-looking adults "'gathered around a table, the Colonel front and centre, "'with another lady kneeling on the floor beside his seat. "'What's he holding?' "'Carrie tilted the photograph to catch the light. "'Her wrist? "'That's weird.' It looked as though the colonel had the woman's arm across his knees, her sleeve rucked up to the elbow. His big hands had closed around her elbow joint and her wrist, exposing her forearm to the camera. There was a mark on her arm that she couldn't make out. A bruise? A stain on the photograph? It's like a big game trophy photo, Carrie muttered, thinking of the pictures she had seen on social media and the scenes in period dramas at the time of the British Raj. God, that's awful! "'What's he doing?' "'She scanned the photograph again for anyone else she knew. "'Mrs Barney would have been a kid then, wouldn't she?' "'There were three people with vintage-style dresses in the photograph, "'but Carrie couldn't make out who they were. "'She chewed her lip. "'Do you know her?' she asked. "'Fairwood's head, his scarred, gouged twin, "'lowered closer to hers, "'her soft scent, light and soothing. "'She filled her lungs with it, light-headed.' No, I've never seen her, Fairwood said finally. She looks familiar, but she never passed my gate, never set foot inside. Yeah, you know, she looks familiar to me too, Carrie said, trying to place the round, white face staring into the camera. I can't... It's her expression that's throwing me off, I think. A chill trembled through her as she realised what it was. It's terror, isn't it? She's terrified. Fairwood studied it. It is a look I've seen humans make, it conceded, when they know they're going to die. Carrie gripped the edge of the table, digging in her nails. Had Phil had that expression on his face when Ricky Porter came for him in the night, locked in a cellar for hours, not knowing what was coming? I could have saved him, she whispered, staring at the photograph without seeing the faces. I should have... I should have gone down there. He knew you wouldn't. Carrie shook her head. No, I... how? How would he know that? She caught up with her own train of thought. Oh, right. Farsight. She rubbed her forehead. He said it like he didn't care. He didn't. It didn't matter. Whatever he said, he knew I wasn't going to. She swallowed, a shiver setting, her limbs quaking. What about the police? Can we trust him? Can we... They'll know. They'll come round, won't they know? If I tell them to ask Ricky, they'll just know, won't they? She couldn't think. They'll know it's me. I did it. You did nothing, Fairwood said, trying to comfort her. Exactly, I did nothing. Carrie couldn't stop shaking. She started to laugh. I did nothing. I might as well have. I'm an accessory, right? I knew. I knew there was someone down there and I walked out and I left him to die. His blood's in my hall. She couldn't stop. The laughter bubbled out, dark and ugly. The tea wrapped itself around her brain, soothing scent driving out the guilt little by little. Her doppelganger circled behind her chair, wrapping solid arms around her. Carrie was pinned to the chair, choking on her laughter as it devolved into manic sobs. Was it relief, horror, shock, nothing? Maybe it was the tea, but everything was ebbing into numbness. Fairwood encircled her, comforting, enclosing her all around with warmth and solidity. They, they, they'll take me away, away from here. She choked out, trying to breathe as a new spike of terror and did the tea's good work. They, they'll take... take me away. They'll take me... You're safe, Fairwood creaked gently. You're safe here. No one can take you from me. They won't find him. He knows what he's doing, does little Richard Porter. That sounded like a quote. It chilled her. What do I do? She whispered, closing her eyes, safe in her small, dark space. Tell me what to do. Her face throbbed where she'd fallen, the ache pulsing through the bone. Find out who killed Cathy, who polluted my stones and left her there. Give me my revenge, and you'll be safe, and you can be with me, and they won't take you away. Carrie huddled into the safety Fairwood offered, letting it soothe her. Promise? Promise? Like a contract, will you make a contract with me? Do you promise? Fairwood considered. Yes. You're mine. Yes. And you are mine. Carrie nodded, eyes screwed tight. Yes. She forced herself to relax, as Fairwood held her lightly. When she opened her eyes, the photograph on the table arrested her attention, drawing her into something else, something untainted by Phil or her old life. I wonder if there are more copies of this photograph. Maybe the Colonel has one. Her voice was too bright. It didn't fool her. The colonel has nothing of mine, Fairwood said. I can't help you. The kernel of the plan began to form in Carrie's mind as she dragged herself into this pressing problem. Then we'll have to get you in there, won't we? she muttered.